Hello, and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, mm. are you kind of tired of bearing witness to history? It's like so much history and it's so uncool most of the time. So yeah, I'm tired of it. Let's stop having historic things or at least stop misusing the word historic for catastrophic. I just want to witness a normal fucking day, Alyssa. I want to witness myself waking up in the morning and not immediately looking at my phone and thinking, what fresh hell is in here now? I want to witness myself leaving the house without a face mask on because we're not in the middle of a pandemic. I want to witness myself meeting a friend face to face at a restaurant for coffee or perhaps lunch or perhaps an afternoon cocktail or perhaps just to take a walk. And then I want to witness myself coming home and not watching the news and going to bed not worried. That's what I want to fucking witness. Aaron, I gotta be honest. What I'm gonna witness for the next while are just like all of my Christmas trees up because they're not coming down because they're the only joy right now. It's like, I can't take them down. You can't take Christmas trees down. You can't take them down when there's sad stuff going on. That's just the rule. You can't take your Christmas decorations down. All I've got is my tinsel and my balls, you know? <laughs> <laughs> On this week's show, Grace Para and Megan Gailey joined to tackle the following questions. Who could have seen this coming, besides everybody who was paying attention? Why do huge, awful news events keep happening right after we record this show? Why do we keep having to record the beginning of it? I don't know, we did it this week. What does a Democratic Senate mean for President Biden's agenda? And how has the pandemic moved us to rethink our relationship with dry January and alcohol in general? All this and more right now. Okay, welcome to the show. So, listeners, a note for you. Um, we had a whole beautiful show recorded, and because the news is very rude and occasionally occurs on Wednesdays, literally the second we were walking out of recording this show, the Capitol got stormed by a bunch of- Maggots. Maggots, yeah, human scum. Stormed the Capitol uh, like the terrorists they are, and it kind of made the whole tone of the rest of the show- feel a little fucked up, <laughs> a little fucked up. So we had an interview that we did that we're really excited about, but we're saving it for next week. Also, uh, the tone in our voice when we're talking about like Georgia, the good news out of Georgia is happy because at the time we were sweet summer children <laughs> living in the happiness of the morning. So that's just a little preface for you all. If we sound oblivious, it's because the bad thing hadn't happened yet. Yep. So- uh, Alyssa, let's talk briefly about the ridiculous events of what happened in D.C. today. Um, what did you see? What I saw were um, a bunch of terrorists who decided they didn't get the outcome they wanted. Like, by the way, 50% of America most of the time at every election. I mean, we don't have huge landslides often, though this one was actually pretty close. Um, and they decided, by the way, because Trump told us he was going to do this. He incited his fucking supporters to storm the Capitol. The best, not the best part, but because this is all fucking really bad, was that he said it at a rally where he was like, and we should walk up there. And by we, I mean you, because I'll have a heart attack if I walk more than 100 feet at any given time. So he sent his supporters up to the Capitol where they broke glass, um, broke into the Senate and House chambers, um, 
we saw pictures of protesters, of terrorists rather, scaling walls of um, of Capitol Police trying to barricade themselves using bookshelves uh, to keep protesters mm-hmm. out. And right now, as we record this, it is about to be the curfew that Mayor Bowser has set in Washington, D.C., 6 p.m. She set a curfew. Um, President Trump would not respond to calls earlier today to bring in the D.C. National Guard. So luckily, our friends in Maryland and Virginia sent their National Guard, and they are now there. Mm-hmm. And Mike Pence Mike Pence eventually was the one who sent the D.C. National Guard. Oh, was he? Yeah, the D.C. National Guard got activated by Mike Pence. Which— also goes to the point which we can discuss on another episode. Maybe Mayor Bowser would like to come on and talk about exactly why D.C. should have statehood because it is absurd that she could not protect uh, the people in the District of Columbia without the help of Mike Pence, who had been busy presiding over a sham. So Mm -hmm. that is where we are. Nothing has been quelled. There are still hundreds or thousands, it's hard to tell, of protesters at the Capitol as you and I talk now. Terrorists at the Capitol. Terrorists. 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 Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have pointed this out, and I think that we would be in remiss if we didn't point this out, but the color of the protesters and the violence with with which the police responded to them seems suspicious. Yep. Um, we know that this summer when Black Lives Matter protesters were protesting like across the street in front of a church where Donald Trump doesn't even go, um, police deployed tear gas to disperse them. And we're dressed in riot gear. In riot gear. And uh, only 13 arrests have been made at this at this mm-hmm. time. It's Wednesday evening. Uh, this all just is just a very disgusting day. And the thing is, it's not going to stop what's going to happen. No. Which is that on January 20th, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden will be sworn in as the vice president and president of the United States. There's no way around that. Um, real quick before we transition to the part of the show when we— <laughs> Where we sound like we're in la-la land. When we were happy, um, there were a bunch of senators who were going to uh, formally object to um, the certification— or the formality of accepting the certified votes from different states. And uh, all of this is on their hands, and we uh, are never going to forget it. It's just completely unforgivable. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, fuck that guy. Josh Hawley of Missouri, fuck that guy. Uh, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. James Lankford of Oklahoma, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Uh, Steve Daines of Montana, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. John Kennedy of Louisiana, fuck that guy. 25 times over. Oh my God. Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Fuck that cunt. Fuck that guy. She can be a guy. Yeah, fuck her. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Mike Braun of Indiana. Fuck that cunt because men can be cunts (laughs) too. Totally. Let's not be gendered. (laughs) Yeah. Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming just got sworn in. Already coming Didn't even know who the fuck she was. Didn't even have a name played on her office. Is already fucking up democracy. Fuck that guy. Roger Marshall of Kansas, another freshman. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Bill Haggerty of Tennessee. Fuck that guy. And Tommy Tuberville. Tuberville. It's hard to believe that he could figure out a way to be a worse senator than he was a football coach. And yet, here we are. Tommy Tuberville, the senator, is the Tommy Tuberville, the football coach of senators. And all of these people are complicit in what is unfolding now down at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And, uh, those guys forever. Fuck them. The fuck that guy caucus. Fuck them. Oh, Alyssa. What? 
One final fuck that guy. I'm always here for one last fuck that guy. Okay. Well, our best friend, Ivanka Trump, America's sweetheart, sent a tweet today that she hastily deleted, but I screen capped it. Uh, Ivanka Trump sent a tweet today that said, American patriots, any security breach or disrespect to our law enforcement is unacceptable. The violence must stop. Please be peaceful. She called these motherfuckers American patriots and then deleted the tweet like a fucking coward. Like a fucking coward. Wait, Aaron, like a very long time ago, it seems like a long time ago, it might not be that long ago, you came up with the be all end all penultimate nickname for Ivanka. And I feel like today is the day to reveal it because it's genius and she deserves it. Which one? What is it? Oh, I don't remember. You don't remember? Yeah, remind me. Because you have so many good ones. Okay, you came up with the best one that made me almost bring my not dry January wine out my nose. Okay. <laughs> Even though it was December when you told me this. Okay. Uh, Avancunt. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did call her that. Avancunt. Avancunt. It feels it's like, like a, it's, it just flows like wine in February. <laughs> I just feel like a really clever engineer could maybe rig the URL fecklesscunt.com to redirect to Ivanka's personal website. I'm just saying. It seems like a project for someone who's home and maybe has a little time. Yeah, and knows about how to work computers. I'm just saying it could be an interesting project. Okay, let's get to the part of the show that we recorded during happier times (laughs) seven hours ago. (laughs) Alyssa, there is so much news to get to today. Erin, where do we even start? Uh, I don't know. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. And, uh, w- you know, I just want to take a moment. You know, we we talked about, you know, Mitch McConnell having a really bad week. But I just want to take a moment to, to recognize another person who's having a really bad week. Maybe the worst week of anybody. I'm talking about Kanye West. Not only oh, did he... Oh, boy. Not only did he lose the presidency in a tightly, <laughs> closely fought race. He is also might be getting divorced. So, you know, the p- most powerful man in Washington, Kanye West, once it again. It feels a, a bit like he couldn't keep up with the Kardashians. No, how, you were I saving that. that. You were saving I that I wasn't, one. I didn't even know we were going to go there. I mean, last <laughs> night I saw this news and all I could do was text my sister and be like, where was our Us Weekly breaking news alert on this? Why am I learning about it on CNN? <laughs> Oh, that's really funny. Well, they're all kind of the same now because Trump has torn down the walls between tabloid and real news. But hopefully we can uh, rebuild the wall between the serious and the stupid once Biden takes office. And part of the reason we're going to be able to do that is because it looks like Democrats are taking the Senate back. Against all the odds, Democrat Raphael Warnock won one of two of Georgia's Senate runoffs on Tuesday. Uh, The race was called Late Tuesday Night. He released a statement that had an incredible piece of uh, sound in it. Let's listen to it here. My mother, who as a teenager growing up in Waycross, Georgia, used to pick somebody else's cotton. But the other day, because this is America, the 82-year-old hands that used to pick somebody else's cotton went to the polls and picked her youngest son to be a United States senator. That's so fucking cool. I am so excited for him to be a senator, and I'm also excited for John Ossoff to be a senator. He will be the first millennial senator. He is extremely online. Um, People were digging up his old tweets on Tuesday night. One of them said, noob for life, 
which I retweeted because it's it's so relatable. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Alyssa, why don't you walk us through what the Democrats retaking the Senate means? Let's see, Aaron. It's so simple. Sometimes I have to have very detailed notes because I don't want to get something wrong, but this is quite easy. It means that Joe Biden's nominees will get confirmed. It means that we are going to get judges on the courts. It means like good things. It means that Mitch McConnell, here's a very interesting thing that never really used to be the case. And that is, is that when you had a majority leader of whatever party, there was usually like a deal that would be brokered to bring legislation to the floor. So things would get votes. And what Mitch McConnell has done for 150 years is just been like, nope, not going to do it. Not bringing it to the floor. Fuck you. And so we are going to see things. And like, truthfully, when everyone wants to talk about like reaching across party lines and coming to, they haven't had to. They Like he literally stopped the process by which you might ever find common ground Mm -hmm. because he just stopped bringing bills to the floor. So uh, now with this comes great responsibility for the Democrats because they now have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, which means you got to get some stuff done. So I am looking forward to seeing what they are going to get done. But I think that for reproductive rights, I mean, look, for everything that we care about, this is great. And Mm -hmm. we just need Democrats now, as I cannot take credit for this. I saw it a thousand times on Twitter before I even woke up. Democrats have to govern now, though I'm specifically quoting Rebecca Traister. Democrats have to now govern like they won because they did. So let's Mm -hmm. go. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think, you know, now that Mitch McConnell's career is basically, this is the end of his political career, I think. He's 79 years old. Um, he is, uh, he just lost this job that he really wasn't that good at. I mean, his skills were not doing anything and then not caring when people got mad at him. Those were right. his, his skills. Just like not giving a shit how mad everybody was at him. And um, having seniority, it, it just the worst kind of, he, he's not some sort of genius. Like he's not, he's not some sort of like, you know, he's not like Nancy Pelosi getting Obamacare through the house at a, at a really tough time. He's not, he's not a master legislator. He's just a master obstructor. And I am so glad that he's out of there. Um, and for nothing else too, for many, many months was essentially a COVID denier, which got us into this place. That is the other wonderful thing about everything that's happening now is that we may actually get relief for people out the door uh, mm-hmm. quickly mm-hmm. and and a better vaccine rollout. Like, look, some vaccines are better than no vaccines, but, um, you know, I think that things could be going a little quicker. Things definitely could be going a little bit quicker. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about your point on reproductive justice and specifically about reproductive justice as it pertains to the two new senators from Georgia. John Ossoff is married to an OBGYN, Dr. Alicia Kramer, who actually on Tuesday night wasn't able to watch election returns with her husband, the now senator-elect, we're assuming. I mean, it's going to be called today, I'm pretty sure. Uh, she's an OBGYN. She was working an overnight shift. So she was like checking the news between patients, according to a reporter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is hilarious and awesome. Like awesome. what, what like incredible, like power couple up until he, now that he's a Senator, he's like sort of equal to 
her cool job. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like they're, they're about at the same level now, but before he was a Senator, she was definitely like the more powerful one of the power couple. I respect it. And, uh, Pastor Warnock is, uh, just out and unabashed pro-choice Christian pastor from the South, which is like a magical unicorn. Um, I do want to say also, you know, when it, I was surprised, were you surprised yesterday? I was. I mean, I just like, it's like no hopes up. You know that the vote's going to look one way by 9 p.m. And you have to go back to election day and be like, you know, no, don't remember. Then we went to bed, Trump was up and then we woke up and it was fine. I really went in deep, deep into my DVR last night. (laughs) Like I just couldn't watch the news. It was too much. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing dry January. Uh, which means that I couldn't do my normal thing on any sort of night of like electoral tension and drink. So I was just like, you know what? I can't do this. We put on, we put on like Fargo, which I'm not really even watching this season. And I just sort of scrolled through Twitter when my heart could stand it. Um, I, I, I didn't expect both seats to go to Democrats But then again, I'm not on the ground in Georgia. I don't know the state. I'm not doing the work. And if you take a look at like all the people that were there, like, and say Ufat, who we, um, who I got to interview in the last episode of Hysteria before the break, um, she was so confident. You know, we, when I asked her, what do you think is going to happen? She just felt like she, she knew that the votes were there. And same thing goes for Stacey Abrams. When we interviewed her, she new. And um, I think that maybe it's time for people who don't live in, and and this is, I'm talking to myself here too, people who don't live in places that are, you know, uh, quote unquote, red states. It's time for us to maybe leave a little room for hope for the people that are doing the work there um, that maybe we weren't living enough room for. No, and also I was going to say this was a victory of organizers and activists and experts. And this was not, uh, you know, like, you know how fast uh, pundits, pollsters, and TV ad makers are to take a fucking lap on TV, mm-hmm. whereas activists and organizers move on to the next job. So let's just shout them out and say, we see you, we appreciate you, and we know that you are the one who, you are the ones who did this. Mm-hmm. I do want to say that, that, you know, the ad makers really did their part to uh, make sure that the whole country knew how racist and gross uh, both Purdue and Leffler Which is were. true. That's true. Um, both campaigns ran like disgusting ads. Purdue's campaign enlarged Ossoff's nose in ads. Ossoff is Jewish. Uh, Leffler made Warnock's skin darker. And mm-hmm. um, both of them can go fuck themselves because now the state of Georgia is sending uh, a Jewish man and a black man, both Democrats, to be their two senators. So Leffler and Purdue can both go fuck themselves. And Leffler spent like $21 million to lose her $179,000 job. Fuck her. What a dumb bitch. <laughs> what a st- Look, they're both dumb bitches. She's a worse bitch. I have never seen a person like I, this is just, she, she's so unappealing. Nothing about, she's just like a, Georgia was absolutely right to just kick her to the curb. She was just terrible. Um, what else do we have to talk about today? Um, I have a toast. I know that you have a roast, Alyssa. Do you want to get a roast out? No, first? I have a toast. Oh, you have a toast. Okay, cool. Um, toast. There's a new squad. Well, the squad has expanded. 
to to paraphrase Ayanna Presley, uh, Congresswoman from Massachusetts, our squad is big. Um, on Sunday, Missouri Congresswoman Cory Bush and New York Congressman Jamal Bowman were sworn into the 117th Congress and welcomed into the young progressive block of the party. Both unseated longtime incumbents during their primaries in uh, upsets that were sort of like the one AOC pulled off a couple years ago. Bush defeated 10-term centrist incumbent William Lacey Clay. Sounds like the name of a Civil War general. Sorry, I'm sure he's a nice man, but it does sound like the name (laughs) of a Civil War general. Uh, Bowman defeated a 16-term incumbent, Elliot Engel, who is another moderate Democrat. Um, Congresswoman Bush posted an iconic photo to Twitter with the caption, Squad Up. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a man in the squad. What do you make of the man in the squad? You know, I just love that the squad is open and available to everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love him. I think he's great. Um, but, yeah, I'm for it. Maybe we could let a man on hysteria. Maybe. Maybe. We could let a man into the—if they're—yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk like about not it. Not forever. Not forever, just but just like to interview. I would like, there's a couple men that I'm cool with. We could interview with them. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. We've there talked about some it. good ones. We'll see. Let's put a pin in that. Um, I did want to add to piggyback quick on the, the squad toast. Um, Nancy Pelosi announced uh, the uh, committee assignments for the 117th Congress and in the Oversight and Reform Committee, Com- Congresswoman AOC of New York, Congresswoman Katie Porter of California, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri. Best dinner party ever or best dinner party ever? All of the above. And then you just throw in a little Bernie fucking Sanders, chairman of the Senate Budget Committee. Don't mind if I do. Don't mind if I do. Indeed. Don't mind if I do. A toast to that. I'm feeling good. I don't know what to do with this happiness. There's this big... Well, okay. So you know how sometimes, like, especially as we have discussed over the past, you know, two months or whatever, when Biden was rolling out his uh, cabinet picks, Mm -hmm. and we know that Bernie, it had at least been reported anyway, that Bernie wanted to be labor secretary. Mm -hmm. Let me say something. I appreciate whatever Bernie wants, but I think that chairman of the Budget Appropriations Committee is like what? Budget is it's hilarious. so great. We couldn't be lu- we couldn't be luckier. He is going to force a lot of hearings that should be had and get information out that needed to be out. And it's going to be like, I mean, imagine if you were just home one afternoon working and you had to flip between C-SPAN and C-SPAN two, and you were like, God, do I watch Katie Porter roast someone with Ayana, or do I watch Bernie try to figure out like how to spend our money? It's a fucking embarrassment of riches. I mean, I would watch. I, I would say that I would watch Bernie filibuster any day um, when he did that filibuster, and I want to say two thousand nine. I watched the oh. whole thing at my, from my desk at Merrill Lynch. And uh, people were walking by and like that commie and I was sitting there like, yay. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think Katie Porter's like roasting uh, in committee is going to be the the choice that I would make generally unless Bernie is filibustering. Um, Do you have any toast? I do. I do. I am overwhelmed by this week's toast. (laughs) I am toasting... Phoebe Waller-Bridges, and Harry Styles and their new video for Treat People with Kindness. It is such a fucking joy. I never want it to end. I can't believe their sequins. It is, <laughs> I've watched it a hundred times. And all I've thought to myself is, can I learn that dance? Can I learn that dance alone in my house and do it along with them like I did the Smooth Criminal video? <laughs> 
Well, uh, the answer is probably yes. You've got, you've got uh, some time. You've got some time to be alone in your house. So. The thing is, it's it's the thing that's eating at me that's front and center of my brain is that it sounds like an old song that I saw Fred Astaire dance to, and I have to figure out what it is, and I will figure that out. But I just think that it is joy and that Harry Styles, aside from the fact that he's now dating Olivia Wilde and like Ted allegedly Lasso forever. He is allegedly. a he's a serial hand holder. He he I held mean, they were at a socially distant small wedding together. So I'm gonna go with us weekly on this one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> just just kidding. But uh but no, I just uh it was joy. I'm I'm team Phoebe and Harry, one hundred percent. I didn't know she could dance. Good for her. Ugh, and you know what? I'm not sure. That she can. She <laughs> may have just fucking figured it out. Because I was looking at some of those steps and you'll notice. So when you watch dancing videos, for example, if you go back in time and watch Fred Astaire, if you watch someone, if you watch him dance with his partner, his black shoes, the woman is almost always wearing lighter color shoes so that you focus on his shoes. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to see if they were doing that in the video yesterday. That's right. Nancy Drew came out to play. Good. I hope you solved that mystery. I want to do a quick... Uh, final toast before we take a break. But I want to toast Argentina, um, which over the break became the first large Latin American country to legalize abortion. They legalized on December 30th, 2020. Sorry. On December 30th, 2020, uh, the second to the last day of that cursed year, Argentina introduced a non-curse to the world and became the biggest country in Latin America to legalize elective abortion after an overnight vote. Um, If you want a little extra joy in your life, not that there's any sort of deficit of joy today, um, but there are videos of women in Argentina learning about the results of the vote, and they are just completely uplifting. So, of course, this doesn't mean that every woman in Argentina is going to have access to abortion right away, but it is the first step that had to happen in order for all women in Argentina to, to access reproductive health care. And I am, uh, I couldn't be happier for them. So congratulations to the people of Argentina. I like how you speak Spanish, but I can't understand it because you, <laughs> it sounds Italian to me. <laughs> all right, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, personal political. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. (laughs) It is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. (laughs) Five stars. No comment. 100% great. That's the type. That's my favorite sport. The new, the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging, which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are because, you know, like not everybody's the same, you know, so mm -hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring. 
And exactly. I don't show I don't show any crack when I bend over. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, so you have your baby and I have my butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Yes won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to fiori.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Okay, we're back. Now we've gotten to the part of the show where Alyssa and I are joined by two other lovely people, and I'm going to introduce both of them right away so that we can gloat about Georgia all together as as a group. Um, First off, she is a writer and comedian, and it's been a while since we've heard from her. It's great to have her back. Happy New Year, Megan Gailey. Hi, Happy New Year. I asked for no Christmas presents and for all the money to go to Georgia, so I'm taking this one on as my own personal victory. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Megan Gailey, for the victory in in Georgia, in addition to (laughs) all the other people who also helped. Um, And also, she is a writer, comedian, actor, activist. She does it all. It's Grace Para. Welcome back. What's up, guys? Good to see you. Happy New Year 2021. We did it. We did it. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, can we, uh, what, how are you celebrating the victory in Georgia? Are you doing like arugula bombs or like a, like a latte cannon or like what liberal things are you doing? Uh, celebrating with Antifa, maybe? Just doing a, <laughs> going to an Antifa rally? Cool. Cool. I was thinking of uh, abortion cheerleading. Anybody doing that? Great. I love that idea for us. (laughs) My family text thread is really popping. Like, you know, everyone's on East Coast time. So I wake up and there's like 20 texts. And so the victory happened. And then my mom got the vaccine this morning in (gasps) Indiana. Oh, wow. And I didn't know it was going to happen. And so it was, and she said that I could tell the hysteria listeners. Um, So it was just like, I like shot out of bed. I've never been so excited to be up at 7.15 in the morning. <laughs> oh, that's so great. What was the scene like where she was getting? What was the vaccine like? <laughs> well, it was, at, she went to the ho- a hospital like by their house that she actually worked at for 15 years. She's a nurse. And she said, you know, she had a little outfit on. She turned to look, I think for sure. <laughs> and had her hair done. And she said, you know, there were some, there were some bumps. She asked some questions like a typical nurse. And she said it didn't hurt at all. And she feels great. And I bet she's going to run through a wall later today. Like, the Kool-Aid man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. That's so great. It's, you know, vaccine rollout is going slowly, but it's going. So to the people who get it, congrats. The only time in my life I've been looking forward to like having someone poke a needle in me. Mm -hmm. 
I love a needle poke. I don't know about anybody else out there. I don't mind it. A shot doesn't bother me. What? No. Shot doesn't bother me. There's something about it that feels like I've like I can check a box. Yes. I did a thing today. Mm-hmm. You're a monster. I, I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, Megan, Megan, you feel me. You guys, I am terrified. Alyssa's terrified. <laughs> I'm terrified of needles. The last time I had to get a shot other than a flu shot, uh, Actually, funny, congressman now, Ronnie Jackson, who is a psychopath, but was my doctor at the time. Uh, he hunted me down. I tried to hide from the yellow fever shot, and Pfeiffer was in my office, and he had, like, cooked this up with Ronnie that they would ambush me. Oh. And I became hysterical in both ways, laughing and crying. Oh and then it, like, really wasn't that bad. But it hasn't shaken my my fear of getting jabbed. But I'm, like, ready for it. That's, like, what they do to dogs and cats. <laughs> like, That's right, Megan. Them. They tried to trick me, and I just was oh. yelping and howling. It was terrible. I'm sure Pfeiffer remembers it vividly. Uh, I saw a video this week of a puppy getting its vaccines, and they were distracting <gasps> the puppy with a bowl of, like, kibble, like, of mm-hmm. like treats for the puppy, and the puppy wasn't even noticing. So maybe next time you need to get vaccinated, they should just give you a bowl of treats, Alyssa. Yeah, yeah. Some that, kibble. You guys, I just should have taken the weed before I took the shot, <laughs> and I would have been okay. These are yeah. the things we learned. That's yeah. true. And that's a perfect segue into... Um, See what I was doing there? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was great co-hosting, Alyssa. Thank you. So I was reading the National Review this morning um, because, A, some of the people who write there are good writers, even though they're wrong a lot. And B, I was kind of on a schadenfreude trip. Mm-hmm. And um, I was reading a piece uh, by Kevin Williamson. And this isn't the point of the piece, but this paragraph jumped out to me because it kind of resonates with what we're talking about. Um, He wrote, a vice is not a problem. An unusual vice is a problem. An unusual virtue or an unusual practice of personal discipline can be an even bigger problem. Ask someone who doesn't drink how often some interested party inquires, politely or not, what's wrong with you? Are you an alcoholic in recovery, a Mormon, a moral scold, or on a diet? Subtext, are you implying that there's something wrong with me? So, ladies... We are in January, which means for a lot of people, uh, it's dry January. For some people, it's dry forever. For some people, it's dry never. Um, But dry January every year seems to kind of bring to the surface the kind of fraught nature of our relationship with alcohol, and especially during a pandemic. Um, So... Megan, I know that you had some thoughts on this topic. So I want to start with you. Are you doing dry January? Have you ever done like a dry month? And what's your reasoning in one direction or another? I have never done it. I have made fun of it openly and I am doing it now. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm the full, I've done, I've the full spectrum. Um, I'm doing it a little bit modified. I started Monday, my husband's birthday is the 15th. So we're gonna, you know, drink on that one day and then I'll go back to it. Um, I wanted to do it this year because my drinking and weed has taken such a like drastic uptick because of the pandemic. Like I'm smoking, I was smoking so much weed and drinking so much that my like tolerance got so high. And then I would have to be drink. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a slippery slope. I also, I, I come from a family that has a long history of alcohol abuse and, and alcohol issues. And 
I lost a friend during the pandemic to an overdose. Like it, it's, it's something that's like really, really on my mind. And I'm trying to not do it in a way that's like, okay, I'm, I won't drink for this month and then I'll feel good for the rest of the year. Like I want to find new activities. I want to find replacements and like, I, I mean, it's tough because it's so dark out right now, but it's like, I want to be outside more. I want to, we got all these face masks and we're trying to do that. And I'm, I am trying to do it in a way that's reflective and not just a box check. Um, a, a recovering alcoholic once told me, drink in a way that you never have to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And I am drinking in a way where I would have to stop drinking like pretty soon. So mm-hmm. part of, I'm just trying, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to have, you know, champagne, but I I do have um, a problem. I I rely on it a lot and and I know the blood that pulses through me and I I just need to be more aware. Mm-hmm. And just just to quickly just to quickly note, um, we're going to put in the show notes like links to resources if people feel like they have problematic relationships with alcohol or whatever. This is also just like us talking about mm-hmm. our own issues. We're not diagnosing anybody. We're not Mm-mm. judging anybody. We're just talking amongst ourselves so that you guys can hear it. Um, so just that being said, mm-hmm. um, Alyssa, I I know that you have a, a different experience and view of dry January. So why don't you share yours? I've never been dry. I will probably never be dry. No, but I mean, I'm, I'm serious, but I'm joking. When I actually went years without drinking back in my 20s when weed was available, you know, when it was like, I just always needed something to unwind a little bit at the end of the day. And like, I've tried the Calm app and everything. And the truth is like, I just enjoy it. I feel good when I do it. And to Megan's point, I went to a school and had friends who did lots and lots of drugs. And so I have always been hyper aware of exactly what Megan said, do it so I never have to stop. You know, it's two hits of the of the joint. It's not the whole joint. It's a little buzzed. It's not super high. It's mm-hmm. it's having five ounces. Also, Weight Watchers, very good for calibrating your wine intake because you will literally go without food if you have too much wine. <laughs> and so I have always kept it to five ounces, give or take, um, with dinner. And at the beginning of the pandemic, It was March 13th that we left the city and came upstate where I have been ever since. And um, within two days of getting up here, I was like looking in the mirror. I'm like, girl, here's the deal. You can never have a drink before dinner. Like there is no day drinking. There is no like slipping outside the bounds of what I had normally done. And then like by two weeks, it had been like two weeks, And within those two weeks, aside from this podcast, I lost every stitch of work and income that I had put together over the past two years. And I was like, you know what? Doesn't fucking matter. It's like there is nothing. If I'm going to do something to make myself feel better, it it can't be that. And so that is how Jam was born (laughs) for me. You guys know, but it's exactly what you're saying. Like I needed something that kept me busy, that kept me focused. I set goals for myself. Um, because also funny enough, my husband does not drink at all. 
I mean, he's not, he'll have like a glass of wine once or twice a year. If I am experimenting with experimental cocktails, he'll have a sippy sippy, as we call it, just like a little taste. <laughs> but, and it is, it's true. When, when we first got together, people would be like, I'm like, oh yeah, he doesn't drink. They'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. I was like, no, he's not an alcoholic. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He just doesn't drink. But that was always the default first reaction. It's like, oh, good for him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it's just like he doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's been my thing. And, and the weed, I keep it in check. I'm only allowed to go to the weed store every couple of weeks. And, you know, I've kept it, I've kept it together. I'm, I, I'm proud of myself. I think that, yeah, there was, a, there was an article that um, ran in the New York Times on Christmas um, that I was thinking a lot about as I was putting this, helping uh, Caroline put the show together this week. Um, and it's called, the headline was vodka in your coffee cup when pandemic drinking goes too far. Mm-mm. And there's a quote in there that says, no one is talking about glasses of wine anymore, said Ms. Duke, who works for a dog grooming app and lives in Manhattan with her two teenage sons. People are measuring by the bottle. That scares me. I know too many women who went from one or two glasses to two bottles of wine to vodka in your coffee cup. So Grace, I know you're a non-drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about like what your decision was behind that and the way that people treat you since you've made that decision? Yes, of course. Of course. I, you know, it's, it's been, uh, alcohol was a huge part of my life for so long and, um, for many, many years. I mean, I started drinking as a teenager, but I saw my family drink. I come from a, from a family similar to yours, Megan, everybody drinks and everybody did it to excess all the time. And I think there's something maybe cultural too, uh, about, um, the Latin Americans love their booze. So it was expected that I would do that. I enjoyed it for a really, really long time. And then at some point, um, in my late twenties, I started to hyperbolically say, Oh, I'm never going to drink again. Every time I would wake up with a hangover. And as we've mentioned before on this podcast, I'm a spicy little pepper and I forget (laughs) that I'm like barely five one and me trying to drink with other people who are not five (laughs) one inevitably led to me drinking what might be okay for them, but was never okay for me. Three drinks for me would make me black out. I just didn't, I never developed a, a huge tolerance. And as the years went on, it started to make me feel awful. I just hated, I hated the feeling of waking up over the next day. And I always thought like, well, this is just the way it's got to be. You know, you, you drink, drinking is fun. Let's just keep doing that. And there was a trip that I took with my then boyfriend, now husband, Niall in October of 2018. We went to New York for a week. And drinking in New York is its own beast. I mean, you know how easy it is to go from happy hour at, you know, four or five o'clock to pre-dinner drinks with somebody to drinking at dinner to then the first round of bars afterwards to then the after party, whatever. You're just drinking it's all day long. It's how you get most of your calories on some days. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yes, exactly. And, and there's and no I, driving too. There's so it's like no the driving. easiest place to be drunk. So it feels like there are so few consequences, but for that week, we had planned so many different dinners and, you know, drinks with friends. And I left that week feeling worse than I had in years. And I was like, you know what, this is not, I'm just going to stop and see what happens. And I've stopped since. So October of 2018, it's now 2021. And with the exception of a champagne toast at my wedding and a couple little sippy sippies, because Alyssa, <laughs> I do, I do feel if somebody's making a fancy cocktail, a sip here and there is fine, but I've not been drunk. I've not ordered a drink. I haven't, you know, consumed an entire drink since. Uh, and it was all because there wasn't a bottoming out. I just, it did. I didn't like the way I felt. And I didn't like that I was uh, insisting or, or, or believing that anytime I 
associated with friends, there had to be alcohol involved. Anytime I caught up with family, there had to be alcohol involved. Anytime there was a celebration, there had to be alcohol involved. Anytime I didn't feel great, there had to be alcohol involved. And again, I wasn't getting blackout every time I drank. It's just that I reached for it constantly. And I didn't Mm -hmm. like that about myself. And if I can also make this point, vanity really started to kick in because I felt like I could see dark circles under my eyes. I felt bloated. I felt like I was aging more quickly. And uh, I didn't like that. And I was like, what if I didn't drink with that help? (laughs) And it, and it, and it did. And it's one of those things that's been keeping me, keeping me going when I remember how I used to look and feel just like dry patches on my face and, you know, just feeling, feeling icky. It just, it, and, and it's, it's because alcohol is, you know, anything in moderation is totally fine, but alcohol is marketed in a way that makes us feel like it's sexy and fun and cute and cool. But at the core of it, it is, you know, it's, it's poisonous. And I think in, in excess, it can be really, really damaging. So anyway, long-winded way of saying that I, I was very lucky to be able to turn away from alcohol. And I feel, I, I'm very grateful for having been through that journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like, like the decision that you made was one that was just completely like, I don't like how I feel. It wasn't like, yes. You know, and and I think I'm doing dry January this year and I did dry, I've done a couple dry months in the last couple of years. And it's funny because like at the beginning of the dry month, I'm always like, oh, I don't want to do this. And then by like a week in, I always am like, I'm never going to drink again. And then at the end of the month, I feel great. And then I, you know, then it's gradually kind of builds up to a, a, state of like what it was before. And it's, I think the pandemic has really, um, magnified things, made things because you spend so much time alone with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so you're not only like, you know, maybe I'm drinking more during the pandemic. Maybe I'm not, I I don't know, but I do know that I'm thinking about it more. And Mm -hmm. I think by the end of like December, I was sort of like, by the end of the day, I was like looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't, think I like this. You know, I don't want to like go through the day being like, okay, when the sun is like down, I can have a drink. Like, yeah, I I didn't, I just didn't like it. But, you know, I I think Grace, uh, I think dry January has kind of normalized the like, like the normal, like a normal person just being like, yeah, I just, you know, I just decided not to eat veal anymore. I just decided not to, you know, drink alcohol anymore. It's kind of normalized it. But any other time of the year, I think if you're not drinking, people are kind of like, do they tend to be a little bit like confrontational about it? Like, have people tried to pressure you? Uh, I, uh, yeah, the questions definitely come up. There's definitely an assumption of like, now that I'm married, it's like, oh, are you pregnant? You know, which is not the case. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, there, the questions of like, well, you know, who, who hurts you in your childhood come up? Um, why can't you just enjoy, enjoy a drink? I haven't felt too much pressure. And I think it's because from, from my inner circle of friends. And I think it's because over the years, that inner circle of friends, saw me increasingly uncomfortable with the drinking that I was doing. I mean, they they heard me say, oh, I'm never drinking again, hyperbolically, jokingly. But I think when I took it seriously and said, I think I'm going to stop, they were like, okay, yeah, that's that's expected. It makes, it makes sense. And also, um, I think that most of my friends and family have been willing to hear me out. And that helps a lot. It's, it's, it's not just like, a, oh, you're not drinking. 
quick judgment and then moving on to the next topic. It's it's more of like, oh, you're not drinking. That's awesome. Tell me, tell me about it. When did you make the decision? How's mm-hmm. how's it been? So it's it's opened the door to longer conversations, um, which I've been grateful for. The other thing that I'll say too is that there's something about pandemic drinking in particular is interesting. We're in a period right now where we're not socializing as much. Or we shouldn't be socializing, um, Puerto Vallarta. Um, except you're if you're there and that's fine. <laughs> um but I think that a lot of people who we maybe would have kept around in our in our circles, inner circles, um, as drinking buddies, we're not seeing necessarily as frequently. So for people who are kind of worried about the social element, what happens if I stop drinking? What will people say? Am I going to have to justify this to myself all the time? Which is completely understandable. And it is it is a real factor con- to contend with. Um, there is a kind of beautiful element of being in the middle of a pandemic right now where we're not socializing as much as we would be otherwise. It's almost like a built-in opportunity to take a to take stock of your friends and family to take stock of who is around you who makes you feel good who you want to be with who you know will be supportive of you if you decide to make a lifestyle change rather than people who might be judgmental and uh who you only ever saw because you were drinking with them anyway i will say that there are elements of not drinking that um you know yeah there's people that i don't hang out with anymore there's definitely people that i've stopped seeing because I used to only drink with them. And when that's taken out of the equation, is what's left enough for a friendship or relationship? Maybe not. And it's a little tough to to realize that that might be the case. But um, again, it's a pandemic. We're all kind of doing that anyway. We're all- We can reinvent ourselves. Yes, yes, (laughs) You can come out, like if I came out of the sober and be like, what happened in the pandemic? (laughs) I do think that- um, the four of us, we live in, a, we, you know, Alyssa's out in the country, but lives in New York. The three of us live in LA. I remember when I first moved to LA, it was for pilot season and everybody was like, oh, we don't drink during pilot season because, you know, they want to look good and they're memorizing lines. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to drink during pilot season. But then there are other parts of the country where not drinking is not as acceptable as it is in Los Angeles and it is in New York. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Aaron's from Wisconsin. I'm I'm from the Indianapolis. Like, if I were to tell certain people back in Indiana that I wasn't drinking, they'd be like, you fucking baby. Like, <laughs> they, yeah. they, they truly like, wouldn't even understand. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't even understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really, like, the cultural pressure that I think Grace brought up before is is definitely real. And also, like, living in different places, you kind of see how different cultures drink. Because, like, you know, in, in L.A., it's perfectly acceptable. L.A. sober is mm-hmm. you just smoke a lot of pot, which yeah. is yeah. W- what I am during dry January. I'm, like, L.A. sober, which has been just wonderful. I've been eating so much candy. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, but in like, when I go home for the holidays, it's like people crack open a beer at noon and have like a low buzz on until like 6 PM. And -hmm. at that point it's pitch black. And so people call it a day and like, so nobody is ever like wasted in my family, but it's like a like festive Christmas buzz that lasts six hours. And then we go to bed at 7 PM. Like, (laughs) But nobody has a hangover the next day because we're eating cheese. In also, <laughs> um, and those and those little raw meat sandwiches. I know, the, I know about mm. you guys. <laughs> I ate, I ate one on camera. It was just a Ritz cracker. It was just a Ritz cracker with some ground beef on it that had meat. Mm. But um, Alyssa, you mentioned before that you had like a group of friends in college that did a lot of drugs. Um, was there? Can you remember any instances of people? 
making decisions to like dial back on substance use and having that, it'd be difficult for them to continue socializing with that group? Or was the group pretty chill? The group was pretty chill. And we're talking like, here's the thing. It's like the people who I surrounded myself with smoked pot. They were not like, quote unquote, hardcore drug users, right? And so, and the the thing about it is I went to very athletic schools. So people would always dial back when like ski season started. (laughs) Like I didn't have a bunch of friends who were getting super fucking wasted and hitting, you know, Stowe Mountain. (laughs) That's like, people would be like, oh, they'd go skiing. Maybe they'd smoke a little bit on the way there and on the way back. But the one thing, you know, like you have those things when you're young that will always stick with you no matter what. And so when I was in high school, Uh, A friend of mine took much too much acid and she went down to the river, which is what you do when you did drugs. You go down to the river (laughs) and um, she was, she was killed by a train. You know, she thought the light was like the stars and Mm. she was killed. And so ever since then, it's like of all the things I've ever experimented with, if I liked anything too much... I never mm. did it again. Wow. So it's like I do, like I'm listening to all you guys and then I think of what I said at the beginning of the fucking conversation. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get so many comments about being an alcoholic. And I'm not because I'm actually just very, and I'm not defending myself. I'm just saying that it's like, because of my personality, I could never be. Mm-hmm. Because mm. I never let myself have too much fun. Mm. <laughs> so I'll be like, okay, well, let's, girl. Let's drill down on that real quick just to, to use some professor language. Um, yeah. I don't know where that came from. It's 2021, new me. It was very good. It's, I'm a why professor not? now. I'm wearing a button-down shirt. <laughs> <laughs> wearing a half a half hoodie that in honor of Mitch McConnell, this is fuck that guy. Because um, fuck him forever. But um, let's talk about the judgment real quick. Um, you know, Grace has talked about people being judge- judgmental of sobriety. Megan, I wonder if you've experienced witnessing judgment of people either drinking too much or too little. And do you think that people are more judgmental of women's relationships with alcohol than than men's relationships with alcohol? Whew, this is... Um... <sighs> like there's on one hand, there's the wine mom. Which is like, yay, it's wine o'clock, like cute little wall hangings about how much wine you drink. But on the other hand, like a lady who is drunk, like Mm -hmm. seems to cross a line that is like, she's completely no longer part of respectable society. Yeah, I I always, like, I think the way it was framed to me growing up was, because I have two older brothers and they started drinking younger than I did. I didn't really start drinking until... Like I went to Europe the summer before college and I like drank there, you know, and then never looked back. But I remember- (laughs) Did you get a white merit badge for that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, they gave me a Capri cigarette that I was able to put in my beret. Um, I I remember people being like, "Well, if you if girls get too drunk, something bad will happen to them. Like, mm-hmm. and if boys get too drunk, something bad won't happen. You know, like they shouldn't drive, but no one's going to sexually assault them mm-hmm. um, or you know take advantage of them in in the many ways that women can be taken advantage of. But like. I honestly, I've always been like a nice drunk. If anything, I've been sort of like an overly flirtatious, slutty drunk. And so now that I'm married, it's like, well, it doesn't matter if I'm a slutty drunk. It's just me annoying my husband to try and have sex with me. And he's like, no, I don't want to have sex with you. You're like slurring your words, which is kind of a revelation. I'm like, oh, a lot of people have had sex with me while I was slurring my words. Um, so it, I, 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 I do think it's, 
I haven't felt more judged. I have seen men in my life who have actually been more judged. And I and I think some of that is because men also can become violent. Like mm-hmm. if I'm wasted and get angry for some reason, I'll probably trip and fall over and then be down for the count. But like if a man is wasted and angry, that's a really, really terrifying thing. And I do know men that were afraid of who they became when they were drunk and that led them to become sober mm-hmm. um, in, in a way that I have not seen like female friends go through that because mm-hmm. I we're just not destructive, like breaking things, ruining things, drunks. I think mm-hmm. we're m- more docile. Mm-hmm. Um Alyssa, you know, I was thinking about like alcohol and what would happen if everybody just went dry. And my first thought, having been uh, a journalist in the past, was that journalism would end. Like, because so many stories come from taking a source out for drinks and then both of you loosen up a little bit and then um, somebody tells you something they shouldn't and then you follow up with them. And anyway, um, Alyssa, what do you think would happen if like, if everybody in Washington stopped drinking? Like how much of Washington is fueled by like happy hour? I mean, it's actually funny that you say this because the first White House Correspondents Dinner I ever went to was with Lynn Sweet from the Chicago Tribune. And I was so afraid of having a drink and saying something I shouldn't that I had not one drink. And at the end of the night, she's like, how drunk are you? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you haven't said a word. And I was like, I'm scared of you. I shouldn't have gone. <laughs> um, truly. But I mean, it is. It's like, it's how you grease the, you know, it's how you grease the skids. It's like, oh, come on, have a drink. Though the one thing I do think makes it better and easier is that like you really can't accept drinks. And like, and reporters can't accept drinks really. So it's like, am I going to pay to have my own wine with a reporter or by myself? I would pick by myself. But that's just- <laughs> <laughs> Come on. See, like I have, I have partied in D.C. It's yeah. definitely oh, yeah. like a boozy city. <laughs> uh-huh. I think a well, lot like of- everyone's like- so pent up. Yeah. You know, and then they go mm-hmm, out yeah. and they just act insane. I have to be honest. I did not go out in Washington like ever. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's probably, I mean, that's part of the reason you're so cool, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Thank agreed. you, guys. My water. Part of it feels like this weird, like, old, you know, it's a city that is the most important people there are way older and way whiter than the rest of America at large. And they kind of have a madman attitude still, like mm-hmm. whiskey in the middle of the day totally. is fine. Like, I imagine that John Boehner smells like one of those trays in a bar where all the extra booze spills over. Oof. Like he just, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Grace, I want to end with you since you're the person who's been sober the longest. I wish we could talk about this for longer, but we have to take a break. Um, what are some words, what are some thoughts that you have of people who are, on the fence about going sober or not going sober? Like, how did that decision work for you when you first made it? Well, uh, you know, first, I, 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 I'm super sensitive um, to the fact that everybody's level of attachment to alcohol is different. And there is, as you've mentioned, clinical addiction, which requires, um, you know, professional guidance and, and intervention that I, I, um, I understand is that there are a lot of programs out there that are really beneficial. So for those who are listening, for whom that is, you know, their, their, their path, um, I know that there are resources out there who can, that, that can, that can help. I'm, I'm talking more out of a personal experience, as you mentioned, and, you know, my experience being able to basically 
have the autonomy and make the decision to say, I'm just going to not do this. Um, and again, have to express gratitude for being able to, to kind of, uh, to see that come to fruition. But, um, all that's to say that the, the words of wisdom I have are, um, you're going to feel great if you do it and, and you don't have to make a commitment to never drinking again. Um, just take it day by day. That's that's the biggest thing. When I stopped in October of 2018, it was just a random day. And I wasn't, it wasn't, you know, didn't have a cute title to it. And I <laughs> wasn't like, okay, in 30 days, I'm going to see how I feel. I was just like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I didn't put an end date on it. And I didn't tell everybody that I knew either. Um, and I think that that's something that everybody um, has different levels of uh, needs in terms of accountability. And for some people, it does help to be as vocal about it as possible and to go on social media and talk about it and to have a countdown for how many days you're staying sober or without a drink. And I totally, totally respect that. Um, for other people, myself included, I made the decision. I told my boyfriend at the time, now husband, um, told a couple of other people in my life and then just just did it and didn't really talk about it because for me, talking about it made it this big thing. And I think that I needed for it to be less magnified in order to feel like it was uh, something that I could continue with. And as time has gone on, now I look back and I'm like, whoa, it's awesome that I've kind of been able to stick with this for as long as I have, but it wasn't the initial intention. Um, and that might be a strategy for people who are out there who are thinking about, about stopping drinking. Um, so yeah, and you know, as we've kind of discussed, and I think this could be its own episode, and I would love to get into this too. What are the other things that you do in place of drinking? Mm -hmm. um, jams. I mean, my God, Alyssa, <laughs> that is the perfect, the perfect path for me. It's ah, oh God, what have I done? I watch a lot more TV now, which is <laughs> probably not great. I cook a lot more. Um, I also eat a lot of shit. I mean, I eat sweets all the time. I probably replace some of the alcohol with sugar, which is not great. Um, but I don't wake up hungover. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, and I get a lot more sleep. I do get a lot more sleep. Um, and it's not like that hungover kind of, you know, terrible sleep where you wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night, which I was doing, um, or wake up the next day completely unable to move off the couch. And that, that feels nice and gratifying. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of little things that you can do, but the biggest thing is to just uh, measure within yourself what is going to feel good. Take it day by day and know that you can pivot and adjust constantly. Um, you don't have to take on the world. You can just take it day by day and say, I'm not going to drink today and see, see how you feel. I mean, Aaron, to your point earlier, you wake up after a week and you might feel great and you might just want to continue doing that forever. Or maybe you have a drink on special occasions or, you know, you take the, the path that I think Alyssa set out, which is fucking amazing, which is, you know, I, I just like to take the edge off a little bit at night and I know my own limits. I'm not going to go past this point. Great. Or you black out every once in a while. I don't know. That's okay too. I mean, I have a lot of fun that's blacking the Meg, out. That's the Megan way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. And I will say also to the earlier point about the um, different expectations and judgments on women. There is this beautiful period in one's life where it is kind of fun for you to be a drunk girl in your 20s. And I also think that that age can... I don't know. Like there's so many women, like I, I look at uh, who's, who's an example of a woman who's older, who is kind of boozy, who we all love because they exist. Chelsea you Handler. Know, like, like, yeah. Chelsea Handler or Joan Rivers. Like it was kind of part of their personality and it's, and it's fun. And it's, I don't know, it can, it can also be a lot of fun too. So I don't think that, um, sobriety or, uh, alcoholism has to be your entire personality. Mm -hmm. Um, Megan, when you interjected the Megan way, I pictured a like self-help book with you wearing a vest, like a, 
Elaine yeah. from Seinfeld vest. Yeah, but no pants because I lost them because I'm blacked out. <laughs> exactly, the Megan way. Um, <laughs> ladies, thank you for being so candid and honest about something that can be like very personal. I, I really appreciate you guys. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, a really, really contentious fight club. I can't wait for you guys to hear the topic. <laughs> Hey, listeners, before we take a break, if your relationship with alcohol has become problematic or you've decided that you need help, Alcoholics Anonymous can be found at aa.org. You can also contact Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. It's free, confidential, 24-7, 365-day-a-year treatment referral and information service in both English and Spanish for individuals and families facing mental and or substance abuse disorders. Okay, we're going to take a break. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. Okay, we're back. We're almost at the end of the show. Um, there's no housekeeping because we've conquered democracy and everything is going to be good forever. <laughs> Just kidding. But there's no housekeeping this week. Let's get to Fight Club. This week's Fight Club topic is one of the, it's the greatest story of 2021 so far. I mean, Georgia was pretty cool. Uh, the Trump call where he was trying to, you know, mob boss elected officials in Georgia, also pretty big, but this one's the biggest. Um Two Instagram influencers and uh, online personalities by the name of Jessica Hart and Sasha Benz are now feuding because they both had babies and named their babies the same name. Baby. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica Hart is an Australian model and founder of Luma Beauty, a brand I've never heard of, but I have heard of Australia and I have heard of modeling. <laughs> Sasha Benz is uh, the owner of two Montauk, New York-based shops called Wild Blue and Wild Black. Wild spelled with a Y, so you know she's a sociopath. And she's the former creative <laughs> director of a trendy Montauk restaurant called Surf Club. Have you guys been to Surf Club? It's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also the founder of a blog called All My Friends Are Models. She also sounds awful. Okay. <laughs> Baby number one. Spelled B A Y B I. No. Is the daughter of Sasha. Yes. Is baby. Is the daughter of Sasha Benz. And she was born in March 2018. Uh, Baby B A B Y is an infant born to Jessica Hart and her fiance, NASCAR driver James Kirkham. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. story just gives and gives and gives. Um, She named the baby B A B Y. Her reason for bestowing the name, I first heard it in the movie Dirty Dancing and always thought that I'd love to name my daughter Baby. So uh, the one who named her daughter Baby in March 2018 understandably is upset with November 2020 Baby. My question is, is it okay to name your baby the same name as your friend's baby? Second question, what if you're insane though? So (laughs) Megan, I'm going to start with you. 
Is it okay to name your friend after the same name as your friend's baby? I think the fact that they're two years apart, like they're not going to be in the same class. They're Mm -hmm. not going to like go. It's like, that's so, that my parents' friends' kids, I'm not even friends with. Like I know them, but those aren't my friends. Like baby and baby aren't going to run in the same circle. So I think the name is bad. The name is going to be on the same internet. Yeah, they're going to be on the same internet. I don't know how she had never heard the name, the, the word baby before Dirty Dancing. That's important <laughs> to me. Um, but I think this is, like, I think it's fine, but I think they're both wrong for naming their kid baby. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Okay, Alyssa, you look like you had something to add. Nothing. I just think this is the funniest thing ever. So I do have, I have two opinions, bifurcated opinion. One, the, I have a friend who was having a baby and a family member of hers was due within a month of her. And my friend announced the name of the baby. And like a couple months later, the other friend had, or the family member had had picked the same name, which was a weird off the beaten path. Not weird. It was just not a common name. Mm -hmm. And the other one had already had like everything monogrammed by the time that they announced it. So when my friend raised what I thought was a very fair objection, they were going to be born within two months of each other. The other one was like, what do you want me to do? Get rid of all the monogram shit? And I thought that was fucking nuts. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that was crazy. That is definitely nuts. We can't, like, hoard names, I guess. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if, they, if yeah. they're on opposite sides of the globe and want to name their kids. I mean, also, do you think the other one's just mad because B-A-Y-B-I yeah. is the dumbest name I've ever heard? She's going to have to spell her name to every single person. <laughs> just go with straight up baby. Stop putting Ys where they don't belong. <laughs> that's that's the point that I have to make. I, I also have two two points. First is, uh, and I've said this before, and I think I'm going to keep saying it again. There's too many damn people on this planet. <laughs> there's too many people. There's too many people. Too many people propagating. Uh, and the second thing is that this is where you get you know, people who are named like Caitlin with W's and T's in their names. Just, <laughs> there's so many different combinations of name <laughs> possibilities. Why Why are we all naming our children the same six things? Like, you know that this whole fiasco is only going to lead to more people being named baby. Mm-hmm. Other people are going to get excited about the name baby after this. Mm-hmm. That sucks. That's <laughs> baby is... Uh, uh, an Ida, it's a noun. It's not a name. It's a, it's a perversion. Oh, okay. So you, you know what? Somebody should tell that to Gwyneth Paltrow, who has a daughter named Apple, who mm-hmm. continues to be alive as far as I know. Um, At least I've <laughs> never heard of another Apple. Not that I'm defending Ms. Goop herself, but the <laughs> other thing that I will say, and I hope sincerely that at least one of these babies is going to end up changing their name down the road anyway. So Babs like, or something. Babs, exactly. Yeah, the Barbara. one, They're the all one baby's Australian, so it's not even going to sound the same. Like, baby. Baby. <laughs> baby. Yeah, that's how yeah. it's going to sound. So they're different names then. They're different names. Like, <laughs> as in the dingo ate my baby. Yes. Oh, what a terrible I bet thing to name an Australian from. baby. You can't name an Australian baby baby, people are going to make dingo ate my baby jokes for your There you go. That was a low-hanging fruit, life. too. You know, 
I'm a little bit, I, I feel a little differently about the friend baby names thing. As soon as one of my friends has, so I have a group of friends from college who are prolific reproducers and their children <laughs> are adorable and they're all like smart and amazing. And our text chain has never been more lit. Um, but I, one of my friends, uh, her name is Wyetta. She was named after her grandma and she's from Alabama originally. And Wyetta has a daughter named Cecilia and Cecilia was one of my favorite names. And when Wyetta's daughter was born, she named her and Cecilia was going to be her name. I was like, okay, cross Cecilia off the list of potential, but mm-hmm. that's just my comfort level. Like I think for the most, part, and, but then two of my friends have daughters named Elizabeth. So I, I don't know. I think it's just, a- I think that, that that matters too. It's like the common, like, like, what are you going to yeah. say? My kid's name is Thomas. Yours can't be Thomas. Yeah. When every I, other Thomas is named after a grandfather. Mm-hmm. However, I did, one of my top baby names was Daphne. <gasps> and when a friend of mine had a baby named Daphne, I did cross it off. And I didn't have kids. So it would have been a <laughs> fucking cunt move for me to be like, you can't do that. It's on my list. <laughs> Be like, here's my cat, Daphne. <laughs> well, my my mom named her dog Maya, and that's a name that I've always loved. And I'm like, can I? Can I? Wow. Can I, I cross it off? I think I got to cross it off. Well, maybe. How old's the dog? <laughs> my cat's name is Eleanor. My cat's name is Eleanor. And when I was a kid, I had a cat named Bernard. And now because, well, Eleanor Roosevelt and Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders are two people that would be great people to name a child after. And I can't name them after either because I had cats named Eleanor and, and Bernard. So right. I, I don't know. But I don't you know. could name a girl Bernie. Oh, Bernie. That's, that's right. That's yeah. a great idea. Bernie. Welcome. You guys, I'm a font. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a font. I know a Cavalier King Charles named Bernie, too. And he's really cute. cute. That's pretty cute. Oh, by the way, budget chair, uh, but budget committee chairman Bernie Sanders. He's going to be the chair of the budget committee. Yes. Uh, in the new Senate, if, you know, He whatever. is going to make America great again. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, well, anyway, I'm glad we were able to bring this back around to Bernie Sanders, this conversation <laughs> about Instagram influencers who both named their baby, baby. As far away from <laughs> Bernie Sanders as possible, a topic, and we brought it back. Um, and that's the show for this week. Thank you to Grace and Megan for joining to have a discussion about a sensitive topic. Thank you to Alyssa Mastromonaco for being my ride or die and for coming back and recording news again for the nth time. And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Magic Root. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. <laughs>